0: If you're just joining us, this is Community Justice Talks. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Welcome. We go live every Tuesday at 1 o'clock p.m. for one hour, and we're packed with great music and live conversations, uh, including today's conversation with two wonderful folks from the Bay Area, but also worldwide, Uh, I'd like to introduce them now, and uh, we're going to go into a conversation today about empathy and also the correlation of empathy with both uh, the origins of conflict, as well as the keys and solutions to it. So just a few words um, about Pejman Korechian and Micah Stumpf. Uh, They met at a nonviolence training for trainers in January of 2013. And since that first meeting, they have been working together to create more empathy in the world and live their passion for building a nonviolent future. Micah is a UC Berkeley graduate in peace and conflict studies, and both she and Tajman have been involved in peace work for many years. Both are certified nonviolence trainers and have taught everywhere from Haiti to the county jails in San Francisco. In 2013, Pajmon played drums for 24 hours straight to raise awareness, also known as empathy, about tortured pris- prisoners who on hunger strike, protesting inhumane conditions. That same year, Micah spent six weeks living with a peace team in Jeju Island, South Korea, fighting the construction of a U.S. Navy base. Pejman and Micah also started their own nonprofit, Emergency Peace Teams, that's emergencypeaceteams.org, that teaches nonviolent conflict and inter- intervention skills and works to create a community-based nonviolent alternative to the police. They also are raising funds right now for the empathy app that they've founded and actually just in context, That's how I first found out about their work. There's a rise in how apps can support understanding, education, and awareness. And so without further ado, I just want to welcome you both, Pajman and Micah, into the conversation. It's great to have you here on Community Justice Talks.
1: Yeah, hi. Thank you so much for having us. It's such a
0: pleasure. Hi, Molly. Hi. It's great to have you here today. Uh, we have listeners streaming online worldwide, org. If you're just joining us, we're going to get into a dialogue about empathy and uh, both the understanding of how violence is happening in our world more deeply and how empathy can lead to uh, deeper solutions of the cycles of violence. So... Um, Why don't we just start out with a a really basic question, and uh, you guys can hand the mic to each other however you want to do it. Why is empathy so important, and what is it?
1: Well, as you mentioned, we met in a nonviolence training for trainers, and that's really our background is that we were originally inspired to be teaching nonviolence to people, and uh, we developed our own workshops, and we're teaching people nonviolence de escalation skills and we would always say that all violence happens through a process of dehumanization. So like before the actual physical violence begins, there's a process where somebody's making a bad a negative image of the other person in their mind and justifying whatever physical violence is about to come. And so when we're telling people, you know, if that's the root of violence is this dehumanization, then suddenly it became Clear to us that dehumanization is just another way of saying a lack of empathy. Like, if you truly have empathy for another person, dehumanization is impossible. And empathy is actually the solution to undo uh, that dehumanization, to rehumanize yourself. And we believe that that's the best, most effective, most long term way to stop violence and prevent it from happening in the first place. Um, And so, once we have that realization of how powerful empathy is it just it for me especially you know I started thinking about all of the work I'd been doing in my life and and I started seeing empathy everywhere you know Um, it's at the it's like at the core of so many of the different things that I'd been working on previously like a lot having to do with conflict and intercultural understanding and relationships Uh, social justice it's just everywhere you look there's empathy is playing a role and I'm really seeing it as like a keystone um factor and so that's why once we realized the power of empathy we started to think you know how can we create a service that would bring more empathy to the world and um we figured by utilizing technology we could make it spread uh, to a lot more people and at a greater speed than we've been doing by teaching these workshops, which mm-hmm. we will continue to do. Um, Pajwan, did you want to go ahead and define empathy?
2: Yeah, I think the way that we define empathy is basically the art of stepping into the real experience of another person in the present moment. Mm. And so... That's done by not only looking at the world from their perspective, but understanding their values, beliefs, feelings, and most importantly, their needs. Um, and really just tuning into what's present in the, in the moment because um, that's really the key to um, going deep into what another person is feeling. And um, so, yeah, I think it was a surprise for us to land in the empathy field because we were mostly focused on conflict transformation. But mm-hmm. um, but in our work, we're so kind of like so tall cool and so um, have a lot of uh, tentacles all, all over the place, especially working in, in the conflict field. You're working in high – Stress situations and mm-hmm. high, ten- high intensity situations that we found it was really important for us um, and people that we were training to be, to have a means to um, connect afterwards or after or, you know after a conflict and mm-hmm. kind of recharge. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we were, we were definitely in need of empathy <laughs> ourselves, and so um, so yeah, part of the inspiration is. is to fulfill our own needs. Well, yeah,
1: and that's another—that's a great point because when you're working in the field of nonviolence and conflict de-escalation, it takes a lot of energy to be able to hold space for people to really like let all of their strong emotions out. And if you're the person that's responsible for that, which is true of a lot of peace workers and people involved in social justice, um, it's really important to have some resources to, to renew your own sense of tranquility and empathy is definitely key in that process.
0: Mm. I want to come back to talking more about this app and how exciting it is, uh, how technology is supporting growing awareness and our ability to evaluate where we stand in empathy for ourselves and others. So let's, let's put a pinpoint there. I want to come back though Um, and back up just a moment and just really honor both of you for the work that you've done in the world and ask if you might have uh, a story or an inspiration that you'd like to share or both about how you got into the work that you're currently doing. Um, You've both been, you know, quite the world travelers and, and offering your service in many places, not just here in the United States. So either one of you can start on that one.
1: Yeah, well, um, I. it's hard for me to pick a specific moment where I first became interested in peace work because um, it goes all the way down to my childhood. My father is a disabled veteran who was drafted into the Vietnam War and he has very severe post-traumatic stress disorder. So growing up in that kind of home, it's it sort of instilled like a constant questioning in my mind, like, why does violent conflict happen? And there, you know, a real strong desire for better alternatives to war. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like I've been contemplating war and peace basically my entire life, as soon, you know, early as I could remember. Um, but I've had, yeah, there's several stories I could think of of like powerful empathy moments um, during during work that I did. Like in 2010, I went to Haiti and worked as an aid worker, um, after the earthquake, and, uh, there was a child there that I really bonded with, I don't, I don't know, we just, we had a connection, she was a 10-year-old girl, her name is Kavintia, and, um, I was working in this refugee camp, and she got moved to another camp, um, and she would come and, like, you know, as I was doing my work, I would, you know, take breaks and we'd play games and stuff. And, like, it was really a, a nice experience working with the kids there. And There was a time where she was going to walk back to her camp, and I wanted to walk her over there. And people said, like, oh, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. You, you know, just stay here. And then I, I, can't, I couldn't explain it at the time, but I just felt that I compelled to walk this kid home. And I you know, people told me not to, and I was like, I have to do this, Um, and I didn't understand until later, but it was really important for me to see where she lived, and so I walked her home, even though people said I shouldn't, and then, you know, I saw that she was living in a tent with, like, seven other people in her family, and they just have a mattress in a tent, and, you know, there's, like, mud everywhere, and And there wasn't really, like, a shame in it. They were just like, hey, here's our house, and I just said goodnight and then walked back home. And something about that, I just felt like that was a really important empathy moment for me Mm -hmm. where I wouldn't, you know, if I consider this person my friend, um, it didn't feel fair to me that I would have more safety than she would, you know, Mm -hmm. as a 10-year-old girl to walk home by herself. Um, It just... There was like an empathy impulse in there that I I didn't understand until much later. Uh, But that did transform the way I was relating to that context where I was. So it was very important for me. Pejron, did you want to share a story?
2: Sure. I mean, I think uh, one of the most powerful experiences of empathy I had Um, that was a real transformative experience for me was when I actually uh, found myself in jail. (laughs) Um, I mistakenly, uh, I would say mistakenly, um, called the police when I was in a conflict myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up getting arrested um, and going to jail and spending the night in jail, basically. And it was there where I... Um basically I experienced uh of being surrounded by people I wasn't normally surrounded with and I and and uh, a portion of society that I had never seen before. And mm-hmm. um I was forced to be like right up front with all those people. there's like twenty people in one room or maybe even more. And so there was a, there were many interactions I had and just being around people and i was like wow you know it really opened my eyes to understand that the, the prison um system is, is largely com- composed of poor people and and seemingly like marginalized people or people that were um, born into a difficult situation already mm-hmm. um and forgotten by a large segment of society and then um and then being punished for mm-hmm. not being able to fit in. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I just, I, it brought me that, that experience really gave me an, an understanding of, of people. And even though when I was in there, I was kind of, people were acting a bit aggressively to me. I almost had gone into a couple of fights right there, but it was something about that, that awoke within me that, that I had compassion for, for people in that situation and even for, for one of the guys, uh there was a younger guy who was like trying to fight me and it was this kind of like power play of fear, you know, like, oh who's this new guy in the jail can you know, I've got to prove myself to him or whatever. And I don't know, through that process I I didn't I didn't feel I didn't like push him away as the enemy, but I something within me at that point just felt a compassion for him and and you know whatever he had gone through to to get to that point, um, but any so anyways, like long story short, I that was a transformative point for me where I I started um, trying to do whatever I can to help uh, prison change the prison conditions or you know prison reform or, or basically fight for the the, the, the plight of prisoners.
0: Mm. Wonderful. Uh, I just want to throw in here, into the mix, um, before we take a brief station break, um, the role of neuroscience Mm. in in connection with empathy. Do either of you want to comment on that briefly? And then we can always come back to it on the other Um, end of the next segment here.
1: We've been doing a lot of research on the science of empathy since we started Empathy App. And um, it's kind of amazing, actually, the power of empathy in the body. Um, going beyond just the emotional. Basically, empathy is an essential element of life and and it needs to be replenished every single day like vitamin D in order to be a healthy person. Because um, once you have empathy, it sets off a wave of biochemicals in your body. Um, You know, the most popular well-known one would be oxytocin. And these biochemicals fight inflammation. So, Once they're in your body, they're doing all this work to make you a healthier person. So inflammation is linked to all kinds of chronic illness, heart disease, um, uh, diabetes, anxiety, depression. So once you have these positive chemicals in your body, um, it makes you a healthier person and it sets off a cycle where Um, people who have a lack of empathy generally are in a downward spiral where they're not feeling as healthy, their body is locked in a state of stress, um, they're kind of in that fight or flight zone, um, more so than the more relaxed, um, physical state. And so, uh, also people who have a lack of empathy start to lose trust that other people can understand them. They start to worry they don't have empathy and they're worried that, that people won't understand them, and so it makes them less likely to reach out. But the good news is that once you do get the empathy that you need, it has an immediate positive effect because of the biochemicals. So, it, you know, all those chemicals are going off in your body, and the best part is that you know, you get the empathy you need, and then it, it rebuilds the trust in your mind that it's possible that people can understand you, and that sets off an inclination to actually go out and give empathy to other people. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome, actually. It can be this mm-hmm. really strong ripple effect where, the, you know, people want instinctively they want more of those biochemicals, and whether or not they're conscious of it, their body knows that the best way to get them is by having more empathy interactions.
3: So um,
1: there's a there's a big instinct to go out and keep talking to people, keep engaging. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that I found that was so exciting about this.
0: So hold that thought. I want to come back to if you have more comments about the neuroscience because it's such a fascinating. Aspect of uh, quantifying the power of empathy even more deeply for our human brains. <laughs> so, uh, uh-huh. if you're just joining us, though, uh, we're talking with Pejman Koreshian and Mika Mika, excuse me, Mika Stump, uh, and the topic today is empathy and the importance of empathy in understanding cycles of violence and also interrupting them. This is K-H-E-N-L-P, Salida 106.9 FM on the dial, and khen.org that's khen.org streaming worldwide online. The views expressed on community justice talks are those of myself and or my guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the K-H-E-N staff, volunteers, or board of directors. Welcome. The topic today is Empathy the cycles of, of violence and understanding them, as well as how to resolve and move towards a place of understanding, even in some of the most violent aspects of our world. So um, Peshman Corachin and Micah Stumpf are with us today, and we're talking about the aspects of empathy and a really cool empathy app that they have developed, as well as trainings and a nonprofit that they they have called emergencypeaceteams.org. More about them, obviously, emergencypeaceteams.org. So why don't we reopen the conversation for this segment uh, just to check back in if there's anything more you'd like to share, um, Peshman, especially about the neuroscience um, of empathy and it, of course it makes me think about our friend Franz de Waal and all the work he did with Bonobos but um, anything you, you'd like to uh, close up that segment with? Um.
2: Yeah, actually um, there's an interesting research project that happened a few years ago. Uh, basically it was a collaboration between uh, the positive emotions and uh, Psychophysiology lab at the University of North Carolina Chapel Chapel Hill and Brigham University. Um, they pulled about uh, every scholar, scholarly source they could find that related to health and social relationships, and their research included more than three hundred thousand people. and the, re- the results were pretty amazing. Like, um, basically, in a summary, is that a lack of empathy compares to other well-known health risks, uh, such as, you know, so if if you do not have enough empathy in your life, it can be more harmful than not exercising. It can be twice as harmful as obesity. It can be equivalent to being an alcoholic. It can be equivalent to smoking 15 uh, cigarettes a day. Um, So that's pretty dramatic, and they also, the study also showed that people with poor social connections were on average 50% more likely to die um during the study's seven and a half year follow-up period than those with strong social uh relationships. So, it's pretty pretty staggering mm-hmm. um, results there and yes, I think indeed. this is really interesting um in light of the uh amount of social network kind of um Connections that are happening right now and, and uh, the kind of rampant Facebook Addictions that we're seeing these days where there's a kind of um, Illusion of connection that's happening mm-hmm. um, But it's not quite uh, It's not quite That's not the empathy that we're talking about here um, another another uh, Study that happened was basically um, where they studied the effects of the, on the body from practicing loving kindness meditation, um, and what, if you're not familiar with loving kindness meditation, it's basically a, it's a form of of uh, self empathy in a way mm-hmm. where one is um, guided to through imagining health, happiness, and well being to others in their lives and in their world, um, and in that study, participants on average practice loving-kindness meditation about three or four times a week for 15-20 minutes, and they gave blood samples. And the research shows that after six weeks, uh, the participants experienced decreased expression of pro-inflammatory genes and increased expression of antiviral genes. So even with adding only an hour a week of empathy, people can experience significant physical shifts mm-hmm. which actually protect against everything from the common cold to chronic illnesses.
0: So when you say an hour a week, um, for those of us who may be uh, just becoming more familiar with the extraordinary information that you're providing and the baselines of how empathy just makes sense uh, in a world that is interconnected uh, more than ever um, and how it can help us lead more peaceful, caring lives – um, how do we evaluate ourselves how How do we know where we 're at and what we can, what can we do um, to improve and open to empathy and understanding, even in the most difficult situations?
1: Well, I think the best way to try to check where you 're at is to take a moment and check in with your body. you know I think most people. If they, if they made it a practice to, you know, pause maybe any point during their day and just check how their body is feeling, like, I know when I do that, I can tell if I feel stress in my body. Um, and if you notice that that's a regular thing for you, then it actually, it's not that hard to get the empathy that you need. Um, like, even the research that we were just referring to um the researchers were saying even if you just strike up a conversation with a stranger at the bus stop, it could be like a five-minute conversation, and you would still get the same positive effects of getting the empathy that you need. And I think part of the problem that we have, that we face as a society, is that with all the technology that's out there, people are less and less comfortable, like, having face-to-face interactions with strangers. Um, mm
3: mm-hmm.
1: And that's part of actually why we wanted to invent Empathy Apps so that we could break down that sense of stress people have when they're talking um, to somebody that they don't know. Because it's, now it's like you get on a bus or something and every single person is on an iPhone, at least that's how it is in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's it's like more socially awkward to strike up a conversation with somebody. Um,
0: or even socially that, unacceptable in some ways. It's quite yeah. surreal.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I've found, like, every time I've challenged myself to do that, even mm-hmm. though my brain is telling me this is, you know, I'm going against the social norm, if I ever get on the train and start talking to somebody, people are happy, actually, to right. talk to right. you, and I think it's because of the neuroscience, it's because of these physical reactions, it's like, people want to have positive interaction throughout their day because it's actually important for your health
0: mm-hmm. I, I heard a saying once uh, what fires together wires together um, that, and that applies I believe to neuroscience so if we're, we're trying to repattern and relearn our, um, our very neural pathways um, and, and change the way that those fire then responding even in situations as simply as you just described can help that right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, a good way to think about it, too, is, like, empathy really goes both ways. It doesn't matter who starts the conversation. If both people are engaged and listening to each other, then both people are getting the positive benefits of empathy. So, you know, think of yourself like you could be an empathy pioneer, you know, go out in the world and just start spreading empathy. It's actually really simple, um, even today, I had a really pleasant interaction with the the garbage man, <laughs> um, and that actually I could feel the effect right afterwards. You know, we like, we told a joke to each other, and he shook my hand, and I felt like, wow, oh, this is great. You know, a little like unexpected interaction. Uh, That's funny because I had the
0: I had one of those with the Amerigas guy today too. He just oh really yeah, just a a kind conversation where where I was kind of expecting to be ga- gouged with a large fee. So it, it was yeah. really quite pleasant.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, if I think about that, it's like, okay, I talked to the garbage man for five minutes, and now I know that both of us got these important biochemicals in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just something you have to do every day. Um, and so I, just, I encourage people, just challenge yourself and, and start talking. Mm-hmm. Start reaching out to others because it's good for everybody.
2: Yeah, and um, to get to a little bit to that question you were asking about how to know if you're getting the empathy mm-hmm. that you need. Um, we, well, we actually we did a trial of the empathy app, um, and just to be a little more clear, that's basically an app that connects trained empathizers to people who are seeking empathy mm-hmm. in the moment. So it's you you actually connect to a real person um who is there to listen to you and um empathize. Mm-hmm. So basically we we did a 30-day trial in May and some we did a survey and we found that um some of the main reasons that people called in was they were feeling either uh general kind of stress in their life or overwhelmed mm-hmm. um or they were feeling some kind of confusion um, in regards to something, or they weren't sure about something, um, or they had some anxiety about the future, um, or they, there was some like work or relationship problems. So really, like I think throughout the day there can be many moments where we we need empathy, um, and it's it's a it's a definitely a daily thing. And so basically, when when these people called in, um, they reported that they experience a sense of relaxation
3: after mm-hmm. the
2: call and they experience a sense of clarity. So what's interesting is that it not, empathy is not just about feeling good and connected, but it can also give a deeper sense of clarity about what is really true for you mm-hmm. and what is, um, you know, our, our empathizers are, are trained in like in just giving empathy so there's no advice Mm-hmm. Um and it might be important it might be good to clarify what empathy is not in a second but um but basically, even without giving advice, just empathizing it's it's amazing how deep uh people can get into the reality of themselves and and discover more about um their own authentic nature that wasn't necessarily clear to them before, just from someone empathizing with them mm mm-hmm. Yeah, Excellent. and
1: that's, Yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up because I think people, when we explain to people that empathy app is not about, it's not about sympathizing, it's not about giving advice, it's like kind of getting beyond the fix it mentality. And then people get confused. They're like, "Well, what happens then?"
3: <laughs> right. You
1: know. Um, but what we we train the empathizers so that they can listen to anybody's story and they can listen to what people are describing about their life and most people aren't necessarily used to describing their stories while they're telling you their feelings and their needs. And so what the empathizers can do is they can hear somebody's story and they can pull out, like, you know, oh, are you feeling this? Do you need this? Is it because, you know, and they can ask these questions that tune people in to, like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. And it's like if you have the story in your mind but you don't yet understand what, what your feelings are... And more important than that, what are the needs that Mm -hmm. are behind your feelings? That can be a really frustrating, confusing place to be. And so when people get the empathy that they need from a trained empathizer, the gift of the empathizer is really to illuminate for that person what feelings and needs they're describing. And so we found that the average call was only 20 minutes long. And within that time frame, people reported on average a 30% increase in their mood. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that came from a sense of clarity. That was the number one thing people reported. Oh, I had so much more clarity after the call. Mm, Wow. So it's sort of like once you can understand the dynamics underneath whatever stressful event you're talking about, if you can understand... You know what you're feeling and why. You know because the feelings are coming from whatever needs you have that aren't being met. You know, and then once you know that, having a strategy to to meet those needs is pretty simple. But the hard part is when people can't even figure out what it is that they need. You know, mm. and that's kind of what empathy illuminates for people. Oh. So a lot of times when people get into this like fix it mentality, oh you have right. a problem, we'll just do this or that. It's like that's not. It's what pretty ingrained want. in our
0: culture. That's for sure. That, that that rush to fix it instead of yeah. allow the field of uh, what wants to be unpacked, the root causes, anything um, that comes with a more deeper sense of listening and understanding. Uh, sometimes that takes right. time to arise, correct? And yeah, uh, and so and
1: often that's the main thing that people usually want: is to feel heard, to feel understood. Um, and once they have that, they're able to fix their own problems. They don't need somebody to tell them how to fix it. You know, like they're the expert of their own life. So
0: And so when we yeah. apply when we apply these principles in, uh, of course,'ve you've been sharing how that might work um, for ourselves through the app, um, and of course, uh, illuminating what empathy is not, is, is there anything else that you want to describe first of all, Um, that what of what empathy is not and then also uh, could we talk for a moment about how uh, what what are the qualities of um, applying that to others and what what comes with that package like what do we need to understand like Marshall Rosenberg of course um, the famous story about how he faced um, I can't remember uh, where it was in the world, but he was at gunpoint and uh, somebody had an, uh, a machine gun pointed at him. And he kind of uh, took a position of softness, even turned his cheek literally and kind of put his ear towards the man pointing the gun at him and asked, I would assume in his own style of of gentleness, um, but directness what what do you need me to understand in this moment? And so I, I'm just wondering uh, those two things um, uh, they, they seem pretty important to to tie into the conversation here as we uh, make the turn to 10 minutes to the hour here so
2: yeah um, so just to clarify what empathy is not uh, sympathy is something that often gets um, confused to be empathy and sympathy is basically kind of feeling sorry for someone like you poor thing I feel terrible for you um, but that's not empathy um, and I uh, you know as, as we mentioned the kind of fix it mentality or the advice I think you should do this or oftentimes um, people will tell a story or like oh that reminds me what you're telling me reminds me of something that I did and um, or another, another common thing that people do is blame either the speaker or blame other people. Like, you know, if he did that to you. What a jerk or, what, you know, whatever it is or guilt trip or shut down or, like, don't worry about it. Minimize the problem. Peshman, um,
0: let, let me just pause you for just a moment because you made an incredible point just now that I'd sure. like to underline. A lot of people probably would mistake empathy as being, um, relational story sharing. So like, like what you just said, you said, um, that it's not actually, um, saying, oh yeah, that happened to me and, uh, I can relate to it because of this story, this thing that happened to me in my life. Can you, can you uh, talk a little bit more about why that is? Why is it that we, why is empathy not the experience of relating one's own experience to another?
2: I think I think the main difference is that you with empathy, you're keeping your focus and attention on the other person. And if you're bringing your own story in, um, it's bringing yourself into the conversation, and there there's definitely a place for that and a time for that, and that might contribute to a greater connection um, at a certain point, but that in the conversation, but if you're wanting to to focus on empathy, then you really want to hone in on what the other person is experiencing and leave your own story out of it, leave mm-hmm. your own judgments, your own ideas, your own experience out of it. And, you know, and, and in some ways it may be easier for some people to have empathy for people that they don't know because then they're not coming in with a, um, a story of what the other who the other person is. And so in some ways... I think one of the, the advantages of the app that we're creating is, is the, the anonymity of of not knowing who the other person is and the and the kind of ease which you can get into empathy.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that's problematic about storytelling is that it brings you out of the present moment. And so when we're talking about giving empathy to somebody, what we really wanna do is connect to what's going on for them right now in the present moment. And when you start to tell a story, even if it's, you know, related, which I'm sure it'd be easy for most people to come up with a related story to anybody, um, it's actually talking about something that already happened in a different context to somebody else. And so there are times when that could be useful in in a conversation with a friend or somebody that you know. Um, But if you're focusing, like what we're describing is if you're focusing on giving, like, a really good, high-quality empathy to another person um, in the moment. So it's not as much of a two-way street like you would have with, you know, a family member or a friend or somebody that you have an ongoing relationship with. So, like, what we're describing is about if you have a goal of, like, I want to give really good empathy to another person. So it's a little bit more focused on giving something to the person who needs empathy, mm-hmm. rather than two people building a relationship mm-hmm. together. Which, I mean, obviously, like I love stories, and, mm-hmm. and there's always going to be a place for story storytelling in life, and especially with friends. And and maybe even if you're giving empathy to a friend, there, you know, you could. You could check in, like, once they feel complete, once they feel like, oh, I, you know, they mm-hmm. have this kind of aha moment where they really did get the empathy they need and they feel relaxed and they're ready to move on, You're then good. then you could tell a story, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like the problem is when you launch into the story before they've even gotten...
0: Excellent point. That's Thank you start. so much for unpacking that. It, it also seems like it's poss- it's very possible that the more experiences that we've had in our own lives... That we can then um, apply to being uh, the, the container for deeper listening, and allow for that present moment to really unfold itself with another. That yeah. uh, I know in my own life, that's a great gift. That I've had the mm-hmm. experience of many different opportunities of of suffering and of joy in my life, uh, mm-hmm. in, and they come with various stories and aspects, and and they help me. I believe to have better understanding of, of others, whether that's yes. voiced or not is the other thing. So, you know, we only have a few minutes left here and I don't want to miss out on, um, uh, just talking with you a little bit more about what's happening right now with emergency peace teams with, uh, anything else you want to share about the app. And then also, um, perhaps the, an, a quick exploration of how emergency peace teams, um, may, may be already responding to current events in, in our country and perhaps beyond. So such as school shootings and other traumatic events that people are dealing with in our in our lives. And again, it's been great having you both here with us. Um, this is Community Justice Talks. I'm Molly Rowan Leach, your host, and we've been and are continuing to close out the hour here with Pejman and Micah from Emergency Peace Teams and the Empathy App yeah so go ahead thank you,
1: thank you so much for having us this has been a real pleasure getting to talk with you oh and
0: i also want to mention too for those of you that are interested um in the podcast that'll be posted post show in the next 24 hours at org. so if you can't catch us live you can catch us on the other end and uh, share it out socially so back to you micah yeah
1: so um emergency peace teams is a pretty new organization that we just started a few months before into the app. So both of them are in the early stages, um, but moving forward quickly. So right now, Emergency Peace Teams is more focused on training community members and nonviolent de-escalation skills, and we're, we've got a few trainings that we're trying to organize right, right now, actually. So if you want to find out more about what we're doing, um, you can get in touch with us through our website, emergencypeaceteams.org. Patron, um, did you want to say something?
2: Yeah, and for Empathy App, you can visit empathyapp.org, and that's dot org. and we're also currently fundraising to build um, the official version of the app. So that can be reached at www.startsomegood.com slash empathyapp.
0: And do you guys have a Facebook page, or a, I think you have a Twitter account. I believe that's where I first discovered you. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah Facebook is facebook.com slash empathy app, And
2: then what's the Twitter? Uh, uh, the Twitter is twitter.com slash empathy real.
0: Wonderful. Well, I just really appreciate you both stopping by the show today and sharing so eloquently about the facets of empathy, um, it's been an honor and a pleasure to host you today. We've been talking with Pageman, Corey Chin, and Micah Stumpf, and please forgive me if I didn't pronounce your last name correctly, Pejman. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, they hail out of the Bay Area, but they've done work worldwide in empathy and nonviolence trainings, and uh, I just really appreciate again, your time today. This mm-hmm. has been Community Justice Talks. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Please join us next week as we talk with a film producer with a new documentary about non threatening parenting. We'll see you next week.
3: What's to you? Carl Rove, you're fired! <laughs>